Northern Seminary and the Center for Theological Integrity. This is the pastor's table. Today's church leaders are weary and burnt out from trying to lead in the machine of corporate leadership systems. The pastor's table brings you conversations with local pastors working out deep theological convictions in their churches. Here are your hosts, Reverend Tara Beth Leach and Dr. Mark Quanstrom. Welcome to the pastor's table. I'm Mark Quanstrom. And I'm Tara Beth Leach. And today we have one of my favorite humans with us, Jenny Wong Clayville. We're going to tell you a little bit more about her in a few minutes, but we are in blustery, wintry, cold Chicagoland today. It is snowing. I have a hot cup of coffee. I have a blanket. Mark, what are you drinking over there? You have coffee? I'm drinking uh, coffee from home and a Yeti, so it's still warm. And you're all wrapped up in a blanket. Yes, it is. It is. It is blustery cold here. And we have joining us today Jenny Wong Clayville, who is joining us from the East Coast. Jenny, what's the weather like over there today? Well, it's sunny outside. It's a little bit chilly. Yesterday was kind of a cold whatever but it was like 34 degrees. So is it really cold compared to where you're at? No, I think not. Yeah, it's no, it's, it's about 29 degrees. And we have some big, beautiful flurries outside, which I'm kind of loving because next week is Christmas and I feel like it should be snowing this time of year. It's a snow globe snow. It to... It's really, really pretty today. So it was yeah. fun driving up. Yeah. I'm Friend... so happy for you guys. Yeah. Yeah. Well, friends, I am so excited to introduce to you. I said one of my favorite humans. Um, it's hard to believe that Jenny and I have only known each other for barely a year. Uh, she and I met a year ago on the set of a Barna interview. And within 10 minutes, I knew that she was going to be one of my dearest friends. Jenny is a pastor at National Community Church in D.C. She's been there for several years. She is a campus pastor and oversees the Nova campus, wears many, many hats. She is a preacher. She is a teacher. For anyone that, that follows along on version, uh, you've maybe seen her pop up on there, where she can exegete a passage like nobody's business in just a couple of minutes. It's pretty, pretty incredible. Um, she doesn't shy away. She doesn't give fluff. Um, she dives right in. She also is a coach for a ministry that she and I get to work together called Propel Ecclesia, a ministry that comes alongside of women who are in ministry, pastors. Um, and in addition to that, she's part of the team for leading and loving it. Jenny, we are so excited to have you today. Welcome. Thank you. I'm thrilled. I'm feeling so privileged that you would include me in this. So thank you. Yeah. Well, the uh, podcast is Pastors Around a Table talking about how to do church. And uh, we don't do church disembodied. We're all in a particular place and a particular time. And we've all have particular stories. And we would like to hear a little bit of your story. Can you tell us a bit about your faith journey? Yeah, that's a great question. So, you know, I was raised, I, I'm Chinese uh, American, born in Seattle, Washington. And uh, my parents were not Christians when I was born. Uh, my mom my uh, started going to church with my godmother at the time. And I think around the age of three, my when I was three, I'm the oldest of three girls. I She uh, accepted Jesus as her own, and this is her faith, and started taking us to church. So from that point on, I remember going to church. But I also remember not going to church. So that kind of started all of that, changed the trajectory of my life 
just kind of figuring things out, uh, living in a church um, uh, context. Also, I went to a Chinese church. And so what that looked like is there would be Mandarin, Cantonese. There's way more dialects than this, but that's the two that were at this church. And then for the rest of us who are American born uh, kids, mostly kids, there was like the English, um, there was the English uh, service or the youth service or whatever might be going on there. And so there were always multiple languages going on and just live translation. And I just kind of thought that was what church was. I think what was really beautiful about that is you could see diversity and you could see multi languages all kind of happening at once that we don't necessarily get in the Western context. But I would say um, the church planted another church in another area that did not have a youth program when I was in high school. And so they partnered with a church that was around the corner. Um, great church, an amazing youth program. And it was probably then that I realized that I could have a personal relationship with Jesus that wasn't clinging on just what my mom believed or what my uh, what the people around me believed, but this could be a personal relationship between me and me and Jesus. And so, uh, yeah, that kind of just launched it out. And from there, it's just been a continuous journey. Uh, I, I remember feeling called, uh, whatever that meant at the time. Now, in hindsight, I know it was called, but I was maybe 14 or 15 and my mom asked me, hey, what do you want to be when you grow up? And I knew I was going to do ministry, but I had never seen women in ministry unless you were married to a pastor. And sometimes you just played like the organ or the keyboard or or piano or whatever it would be. And uh, I mean, I did. I mean, you could put, throw in all the stereotypes. I definitely play the piano and the violin and all that stuff. So, <laughs> uh, I, you know, I just thought, oh, maybe that's what I have to be. And so my answer was, I, I, want, I would like to be a um, pastor's wife. And God was like, yeah, hang tight. I have more. And so here I am today, uh, a pastor. My husband is not a pastor. He's a pastor's husband. And the, the journey has been long and, and so good and also so terrible. So uh, <laughs> it's just all of it in one. But uh, it's, it's been overall good. And it's, uh, it's a good reflection of what God gives us, just the fullness of experience. Uh, and so that's kind of how I got here. That's pretty much my faith journey. Uh, just really do- dove in my high school years and uh, just hasn't really stopped or let up since. So, Jenny, tell us a little bit more about your sense of call in your journey to pastoring. Yeah, I don't. So I will say this. As time has gone on, I've realized that the call has always been to make whatever I know or make uh, the study of God, the things that are, you know, biblically um, interpreted multiple ways accessible mm-hmm. to everybody. Mm-hmm. That's the first thing. And the second thing I've always felt called to is women or um, marginalized people that don't have as much accessibility uh, I have been very, very fortunate to have allies that have stepped ahead of me and given me a space at the table uh, most of the time. Um, but I know a lot of women do not. Not only women, but people of color do not. Um, oftentimes, I feel like we have kind of, we're invited to the table, but like just to sit there to check off a mark, you know? Mm-hmm. And so mm-hmm. I, I, my heart is there for those. And I feel like that's kind of where my call has 
manifest it into. Uh, but whichever way the call is, the ecclesia, the call is the church. It is, it is for the people that want to be a part of the kingdom of God. It is an inclusive thing hmm. that, that I have been called to. And so that, that's pretty much it. Uh, I don't know how complicated it is. I wish I was, I had like really great words, but that's, that's all I have. Well, so, uh, yeah, so as a 15-year-old, you're thinking, I can't be a pastor, so I must have to be a pastor's wife, right? That's mm -hmm. kind of, that's not an unusual story. Uh, I've heard that a lot from uh, women, or they go into children's ministry or something because they've never, yeah. they've never seen a, a woman in the pulpit. Um, regarding playing the piano, uh, you do fit that stereotype. When Deb mm -hmm. and I interviewed at our first church, they asked her if she played the piano. Uh, in the yep. board interview, because that's obviously what a pastor's wife needs to do. She mentioned that she mm -hmm. played the drums, as a matter of fact. Um, oh, I love it. And so they did not know what to do with that, so uh, they let that go. But anyway. You know, no one has never asked Jeff that question. Isn't that interesting? <laughs> no one's ever said, "What do you play the piano? What are you going to... In fact, you know, as a, as a pastor's husband, and Jenny, you could probably relate to this as well uh, with your husband. You know, I have found that people just often don't know what to do with a pastor's husband. So they kind of leave them alone. Um, there's so much pressure and demand. And Jenny, I know that you work with, you know, leading and loving it. Uh, that ministry started out as a ministry to pastor's wives um, yeah. in, in the early days. And now it's kind of it's very much expanded beyond that. But there's a, the, and you started that ministry because there's an incredible pressure on pastor's wives. Absolutely. I do love leading and loving it. It was started by Brandy uh, Wilson and Lori Wilhite. They are the they're the brain uh, trust behind all of that. And it all started really with that expectation of women, like what Mark said, like you, you have to be a certain way. And some of the motto early time was, I'm not your average pastor's wife. And at what point did we pigeonhole pastor's wives, women, period, and but also men like pastors. Why do we pigeonhole them into this is what you need to be uh, when God has created us all to be so very different for a purpose of the church mm -hmm. to reach across all different, uh, the, the whole spectrum, right? And so uh, we're very fortunate to, to have, uh, to be in a better place. We're not, we haven't arrived yet, but we're getting closer. And so we have generations coming up behind us that, that won't, feel this tension as much. And I'm very, very grateful for that. But yeah, leading and loving it has been an, an incredible resource to women. And it has expanded into ministry, women in ministry and women in leadership, because so you see so many more of us now. Um, you know, Tara Beth, you and I connected because there's not a lot of us still, mm -hmm. but there is more. And, and so now there's making these connections. But I see more that women in leadership or in ministry are co-pastoring with their yes. husbands. And so even for me, it's still a little bit isolating because even where I work right now, it, when we sit around a room, it's like, okay, it's all, it's still like all guys and, and myself. And so what, what does that, what does that look like? What does that mean? Where do I, where can I speak? Where should I hold back? Where should, there's all these tensions that we're still navigating through. So I'm, I'm looking forward to the day that that women don't have to do that. Yeah. So, do you guys feel like pioneers still? Is that? Oh yeah. I mean, you're still breaking yeah. ground, aren't you? We are. Yeah. And what's what's amazing about that is that's true, and it 
won't be true for very long because so Jenny and I, we sit at a seat where we are involved in a coaching ministry, a Propel Ecclesia. As I mentioned earlier, that's a ministry that comes alongside of women in context who who are often alone um, on an island. They're the only one that looks like them in their context. Uh, we work with a lot of women who are the first mm-hmm. and or they're the only female on staff and they're pioneering. But but I say that to say there is a groundswell. There is a yes. remarkable amount of women in their 20s and 30s uh, that are coming up in ministry. And and I think we are a decade away to this being more normalized in context. But yes, pioneering, absolutely. Yeah. I, one of my yeah. staff members uh, was a uh, children's pastor in a tradition that did not uh, acknowledge the possibility of women in a leadership mm-hmm. position uh, uh, out from, un- I mean, out from under a man's leadership. Mm-hmm. And we uh, brought her on at College Church and it has taken her several years to get her own head around the idea that she has as much authority as a man in the church. Mm-hmm. And um, I would refer to her as pastor and call her by name, Pastor Sherry. And she just, it was unnerving to her because she was, it was so ingrained in her mm-hmm. that that was not a, that was not a possibility. She could be a director mm-hmm. of children's ministry, but she couldn't be the pastor mm-hmm. of children's ministry. Right, that's right. So um, that's, I'm, I'm thinking that this is still, you're still having to break ground. Yes. Well, and you know, the word pioneering is interesting uh, because it's not as if generations before us haven't Correct. been pioneering. So Jenny right. and I, we stand on the shoulders of women that Absolutely. were pioneering before us. I mean, so so what we're looking at is centuries right. of women that have been pioneering and it's still flabbergasting that our generation is still feeling like we're pioneers because I know that I stand on the shoulders of women that, that etched mm. the path for me. And my but hope. what I think is really, uh, really amazing, and I and I feel so privileged to see this is, like you said, uh, Tara Beth, there's a groundswell, mm-hmm. right? The momentum has hit. Yes, the amount of time, the shoulders that you and I stand on, the time frame of that has been for so long, mm-hmm. like generations and generations. Right. And like you, what you just said, in ten years, look at what's going to happen. Yes. And so I, I'm very, very grateful that I live in this time and I get to right. see this. And even in the, my most frustrated moment, I am just like, thank you, God, that I get to see That's right. some of this. Me too. I, my hope, when I uh, wrote the book Emboldened, my hope was and still is that one day my grandchildren will dust off that book and say, Grandma, why did you write this? And I'll say, oh, sweetheart, that's history. Yeah. Oh, that's so good, Tara. So, Jenny, within your context, within your story, you've had some real ups and downs. Uh, you've you've been in ministry. You've stepped out of ministry. Uh, you've 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 probably had moments where you've looked at the bride of Christ and thought, "Oh my, she's not who she could be. She's not always reflecting the light of Jesus." And so in light of all of that, why why are you still in ministry? Oh, that's such a good question. I mean, what you just described is stuff that I feel like on a daily basis 
And I am a part of that. I think I, before I jump into just the things that thrill me about the church, about the Bride of Christ, and the things that devastate me about it, I also want to just say that I am very much a part of the, the good and the bad of all of this. And so I want to see, I, I, I think we just have to hold space. We need to practice abiding in the things that God is actually telling us mm-hmm. on a regular mm-hmm. basis of what the church should be. Mm-hmm. Uh, how we interpret the Bible is so widespread that I, I, I don't think anyone comes out, um, people that are truly, that love Jesus, I don't think they come out with the intention of smashing someone else. I think they interpret it in a way of saying, I want to do what's right. Mm-hmm. So it, But in the process, we end up hurting people, mm-hmm. right? And so I think the hardest part for me has been as much as we have said that we want the church to be a- inclusive. And we have said it, I mean, even in with the Reformation, like go way back in history. And let's just be honest, the history goes way back even before that. But the whole idea was what is right, what is good, what does what is what is um contextually appropriate for mm-hmm. this time of what what God has said for us. But in that, we have kind of mixed some things up, I think, that unfortunately makes the church more exclusive than inclusive. Mm-hmm. And that is where my heart hurts because I look at, let's just use the word marginalized, Mm -hmm. and this is becoming less and less in some ways, but for a long time, women marginalized still are in many ways, Mm -hmm. marginalized group. And then you look at anybody that is not the dominant white, and I'm not in any way saying that white people are terrible. we're, We're not. I married a white man. He's amazing. My kids are half Chinese, half white. I love all people. Really, I do. Um, I do think there is a systemic uh, issue in the United States, mm-hmm. not just the United States, but since I live here, I can talk, I can speak to that, that does not breed inclusivity to a way that includes into a dominant culture. And if you are included, it means that you have to code switch and you have to figure out how to speak that dominant culture language to fit in. But God is so much bigger than that. If God created all of us, mm-hmm. right, mm-hmm. to to be the ethnicity, the ethnicity that we are, to be in the social economic system that we're in, how do we include that? How do we include the deaf community? How do we include the African American community? How do we include the Asian American community? By the way, Asians, there, I mean, there's a lot of people groups within that description period, Mm -hmm. right? When we talk AAPI, how do we include Muslims? We are so afraid of people that are different that Mm -hmm. our natural tendency is saying, we don't know that, you're wrong. And I think that is where the church has failed and has done more damage. And I don't think that is the inclusive Jesus that we read of in the Bible. So I think that is my frustration. But here is why I feel still called. Even in all of that, and even in the frustration of things that don't always go right, I have been given a seat at the table. I have friends and allies that have asked me and pr- like propelled me forward, really, and, and, and made excuses, not excuses, but made a way for me to not have to feel less mm-hmm. or shrink myself mm-hmm. in a room, but really to take 
more space. Mm. And I want that for everyone. Mm. And so I don't have the largest platform in the world, but the platform that I do have, I want to use it well. And I want to elevate those that are not, that feel pushed down. And so that is what the call, my call is. Because I look at Jesus's ministry and his life. Who did he hang out with? Mm -hmm. You know, it wasn't all the scholars. It wasn't the Pharisees. It wasn't the people that were fully respected. He could have, mm -hmm. he, but he didn't. Mm -hmm. And so how do I do that in the context of the world that we live in, in the country that we live in today? That's right. I love reading about, reading, reading through the Gospels and looking at the table manners of Jesus, because every single time that Jesus broke bread, he made a declaration of the kinds of people that are in the kingdom. Every single time. He sat down at a table. It was a picture of the kingdom that he was creating. And I often liken it to holidays when, when we have people over and we have to pull out the table expander from the basement yes. so we can make the table longer. Every, every single time that Jesus sat at a table and every single time that Jesus described the kinds of people that were in the kingdom, he was pulling out that table extender and just kept making it longer and longer and longer and saying, at this seat is is this kind of person, and it was it was upsetting. Um, and you're absolutely right. Uh, pastoring the church is is extending that table and saying these are the kinds of people that we're called to pastor, to include, uh, to break bread with, and it's a picture of the kingdom. And I appreciate you're not caricaturing the church. So you said you said that yeah, the, the, the church can be hurtful. Um, but the church has also been incredibly helpful. The church has been supportive and has have, the church has embraced me as well. And I really did appreciate your recognition, confession, that um, all that the church is and isn't is a part of us as well. We bring what is and what isn't to the table too. So mm -hmm. we're not, we're, I appreciate, so appreciate you're saying that we're not setting ourselves above or apart from it. But 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 are involved in all of the messiness of the church. Mm -hmm. The church has always been messy. And I think because we only read or study portions of history and we're not really digging deep into it. And also what's been, you know, recorded in history. We don't see all the messiness in it. And I just have a hard time believing that it was always nice and tidy before this. There's no way, you know, and so. God is a God of miracles. He's a God of restoration. He's a God that res restores and reconciles things that are in the most broken places. And so why would he not do that with his bride? And it, the messiness also, I have so much messiness in my life. And oftentimes the messiness is what brings joy hmm. and healing. And without that healing, without that mess, that healing couldn't restore me to what I need to be now, not what I was before. Restoration is not whatever was original, it is sending you back to what was meant to be. And it requires a brokenness at times. And I think if the church, and I love the church so much, I, I have not left the church because of this, but if the church could overall just say, okay, we don't know everything. Uh, I always, I've said this to Tara Beth before, where what I believe now is different, it has shifted from what I believe five years ago. You know, someone has, people have told me, you should write a book. And I'm like, that sounds like a bad idea. Because every few years, I'd be like, man, 
I'm a heretic. So I just, like, it's just, I don't want it on paper. I don't want it, like, in print. I just want people to know that I am messy. I am growing. I look at some of the things I wrote in my Bible 10 years ago, and I'm like, oh, my gosh, I was such an idiot, you know? And I know 10 years from now, I'm going to look at myself and, man, like, man, people interview me on these podcasts. I, and I knew nothing, you know? And I, I want the church to take that stance of humility of, hey, let's just, let's love God, love each other, and let's just figure this out together. It's okay. Let's grapple with this. That's important. So I don't read old sermons for that reason. I don't read sermons I preached 10 years, 20 years ago. I can't imagine anybody suffering under my preaching. And and again, in 10 years, I'm not going to be able to read the ones I'm preaching this week. So I completely identify. And I also want to mention uh, the church has always been messy. Um, we have sometimes a romanticized notion of the first century church, if we could just get back to the first century church. Yes. Most of us would not attend the church no. of Corinth. We would not have gone to that church. That church would not have been worthy of us. That church was an mm-hmm. absolute mess. Absolutely. So uh, hearkening back to when the Holy Spirit was moving in a previous, in a previous century is, is, uh, is, a, is a discounting of the work of the Holy Spirit among us today. Oh, that's so good, Mark. So absolutely. I, we can't get stuck in the past, right? And can we pull and learn from what we've gotten from the past and then apply it today? Because everything looks so different today. That's really good. Mm-hmm. Jenny, you, you mentioned, you know, as, as you talked about your sense of call and why you're still in ministry, an ongoing awareness of being an Asian American pastor, an Asian American female pastor, and you, you pastor in primarily white context. And mm-hmm. I, I would imagine that every time you enter into a room, you're aware of your body. You're mm-hmm. aware of your skin. You're aware of your history, your story. Mm-hmm. What is, and you know, you talked about code switching. Can you, can you talk a little bit more about what it what that is like to pastor in these contexts? Yeah, I it it has not been easy. Mm-hmm. There are many times that I have thought it would be easier just to go back to a Chinese church. Yep. Hmm. But I'll be honest, I don't fit there either. Hmm. Wow. Uh, most Chinese churches do not include women hmm. as speakers, leaders, teachers, mm-hmm. unless it's a Bible study or kids, like mm-hmm. what you said, Mark, kids, or, you know, you can sing backup vocals or play the keyboard for the band. Um, and so, uh, and I'm not, I'm not like dumbing down those roles yep. because they are absolutely important. I just know what God has called me to is a little bit different, right? My job is to see what's in the room and then foster and steward that well and release it out so the kingdom work is done. Yep. And so, what a waste for men, women, anyone out there to not be able to use the gifts that God gave them. And sometimes that's what it feels like. So I will also preface this with, as a Chinese American woman that was born in the United States, I have incredible privileges that my black and brown brothers and sisters do not. Mm. And so when I speak about code switching, I can only speak to my experience mm-hmm. and not those that when you like stack marginalization on people, I can't even speak from that. So I hope that as you're listening, 
this is just my story, not anybody else's. Yep. And so my, my encouragement is that you would have conversations with the people that are around you to, to, to gain proximity with people that don't look like you. But I will say that for me, oftentimes what I have felt, and here's the thing, I'm not going to say that this is anyone's intention, but even when I'm at the table, the perception is twofold that as a woman, I don't know as much as the man, usually a white man next to me knows, as an Asian woman, as a Chinese woman, I am a perpetual foreigner, even though I was born here, born and raised here, as American as they, as they get. Uh, I, I am seen that way. And so there's a discounting, whether you know it or not, in the back of your head that she doesn't know everything that she needs to know about this because she's not from here. And so no matter what, there is that kind of attention. And then the last couple of years, we have seen the rise in Asian hate. And here's the thing. Y'all have been, you see it now, but it's always happened. It is still happening. And it will probably not stop happening until we address it at a systemic level, mm -hmm. right? And so. I just, it hurts my heart to see my, that people that look like me not feel safe in the streets, but also I think more importantly, not feel safe to step into a church. Uh, and, and sometimes they step in, they, they may step into a church, but here's, this is where the disconnect is. People that are my age and younger. Um, so the next generation going, going into uh, millennials and then Gen Z they're looking at the church if they're Asian American. And if they look at an, their own like Asian church, they don't fit in there because there are cultural things that aren't fully connecting. But mm -hmm. then they don't fit in a white church either because they're not necessarily white, mm -hmm. right? They're not white enough. Mm -hmm. And so um, a friend of mine has used this as an example. And I think this is across the board, not just as a, a, a pastor. But I take this and I go, okay, how can I love on my people more? And I'm not saying my people and not everyone's people, but you know what I mean here. Mm -hmm. It's if you look at all different ethnicities as like a house pet situation, the, the reality is the dominant white culture in the United States is the person that owns the house. They own the home. They have all the privileges. Mm -hmm. And then there are, you know, animals that are squirrels, they're rabbits, they are uh, feral foxes, cats, whatever outside. And those are as you stack marginalization and ethnicity and race and color, that's kind of the outside animals. And, you know, leave them alone and they'll leave you alone kind of a thing. And then you've got the Asian American diaspora and it's very much a they are the house pets. They are our cats. They are our dogs. And we love them so much. We'll even let you jump on the couch and sit with us. We'll pet you. We'll feed you. We will love you. We'll make sure that, like when Charlie bumped his, uh, this terrorist dog, bumped his leg and we thought his leg was broken, like we will take him to the vet. But here's the thing. The minute you bite my child, you're no longer allowed at the house. You're outside. You're in the doghouse, quote unquote, or you get euthanized. 
you get you're no longer part of the family and you are excommunicated. And that's kind of where our that has sat. And again, that's not my that's not my story. I mean, that's not my uh my parable. Someone else said that and I'm like, "Man, that is so good." But it is it is how most of us feel. Um and so what do you do with that? Wow. And so as someone that is at the table and someone that gets to pour into people, I just try to expose that a little bit more and then have the conversation of, okay, now how do we include that? How do we change that? How do we fix that? How do we remedy that? And I don't know the answer because I am one person and some of the things I've thought of are really terrible ideas. And then some of them are great ideas and they only work for a short time. Yeah. So we need a whole group of people to sit through and actually make it happen. So that's kind of um that's kind of the seat that I sit in and what I've noticed in my role. Well, thank you so much for joining us for this episode of the Pastors Table uh, with this very riveting, vulnerable, honest conversation with my dear friend Jenny Wong Clayville and Pastor and this was just part 1. We have another one coming, don't we, Mark? Yeah, we do. And it's uh, the second half is, is every bit as compelling. So we hope you'll join us next week. Subscribe to the podcast. Share the podcast. We think these are, in, well, we think these are helpful um, to listen to other pastors speak of how they are exercising their vocation. That's right. And so until next time, may you be blessed as you serve faithfully in the gift of ministry God has granted you. That's